And the scary thing is, too, that a lot of that internalized bias often trickles into the healthcare system, where healthcare providers are maybe carrying around their own, you know, bias, their own fat phobia, and it's impacting their work, which I think is is um, probably one of the scariest um, impacts of like, you know, diet culture and, and um, weight bias or weight stigma. Hi, and welcome to the Flare Up Show. This is your host, Chrissy Accordingly. I'm really thrilled today because I have uh, Angela Tucker joining me, and she is from Manitoba. She's from rural Manitoba, and she is an amazing practitioner. So she is a dietitian as well as a certified counselor and has really been working on the emotional side of eating and really working to help people um, remove themselves from diet culture and the messages, the body dysmorphia, all those messages that we tend to send ourselves. And she's she's just really, really awesome. She's also a member of the vegan community. I, I make it sound like there's like a card carrying thing, like we carry a card, we're a member of the club, but <laughs> what I just mean is that she is also vegan like me, an ethical vegan. And uh, she also provides support services, not only nutrition wise to vegans, but also uh, emotional, mental support, because sometimes making the switch to veganism and, and ethical veganism, living in a world of non-vegans, which is catering to non-vegans, can actually be quite uh, traumatic for some of us. And so she's going to share a bit about that as well. Um, so I, I think you're just going to find this a really great episode. Angela is so kind. She's so smart. She's so great to talk to. Um, and definitely go check out her social media after this. She, she's, she's pretty rad with the TikTok and stuff. She's, she's, yeah, really good. I'm, I'm still not on TikTok because I just feel like I, by the time I get on it, it won't be cool anymore. So <laughs> that's where, sort of where I'm at. But um, I would, yeah, love, just love for you to check her out, check out her services. She does only service people sort of in Canada and in this area. She prefers to stick a little bit close to home. Um, but don't hesitate to reach out to her if you have any questions. I'm sure she would love to chat or hear from you. And don't forget to check out my new website. So I have a link tree now, link tree slash girl with a flare. And it has all the different projects that I work on. In addition to this show, you can find, well, if you go there to listen to this show, you can pick from all the different podcast apps that I have available, as well as my other show, Healthwise 360, which I uh, record for a media company in the States called In the Limelight Media, with uh, which is, owned and founded by uh, Clarissa Burt, who's just amazing. She is the best-selling author of The Self-Esteem Regime. Great book. Um, and also you can check out my Happy Life Planner. There'll be a tiny little advertisement after this, uh, before the show starts, uh, that you can listen to. But please check that out as well. And as well, of course, always Babies products. But the other thing I just want to remind you of is if you have, if you have workplaces that are working towards better cultures and more psychological safety and better team communication where everybody works well together, that leaders are not only just followed because they're respected, but they're also feel trusted. 
So I am doing that through a company called Ignite Purpose. And Ignite Purpose was started in Australia by Christina Foxwell. She has been a guest on the show. That's how we met. And now I'm the managing director of Ignite Purpose Canada, which is super exciting. It's, you know, one of the reasons I invited her on the show was because I was just so taken with her message about using the L word at work. Yeah, love, love. It's okay to say love at work. <laughs> Although most executives prefer we say compassion or empathy, but it's really love. We just know it both sounds love. And we just clicked, connected, and I just really love what she does with businesses all over the world. And I'm super honored to be heading the ship here in Canada. Our launch is actually, this episode re releases on Thursday. Our launch is today at noon. Very excited about that. So I can't wait for, I hope that um, all of you can join us. Um, or at least check out a little bit about Ignite Purpose. Uh, that is also on my link tree. So anyways, I'm going to go back to Angela Tucker and I just hope that you really enjoy her amazing, positive message. But first a message from our affiliate. Have you checked out the Happy Life Planner yet? This planner is actually more of a workbook. It's an undated 90-day planner created with love to remind you to take care of the most important person in your life, you. This planner is designed from practices that have personally helped me create a happier and healthier life. My wish is for these tools to serve you just as well. You know, I'm a big believer that nourishment is more than just the food in our plate. And I have filled this awesome workbook with tips for fulfillment in all the important areas of our lives, from home environment to relationships to careers and so much more. Now, it can be overwhelming to think of all the balls that we need to juggle, all the different roles that we need to play. But this planner will also provide you the skills to assess which areas need a little focus and how to make the most out of the time and energy you do have available. Life is messy, life is busy, life is unpredictable, but this little workbook made with love will help you stay on track with what you can control and change. Now available on Amazon, the Happy Life Planner. Hi, I'm so excited because today I have on the Flare Up Show, uh, Angela Tucker, who is a registered dietitian. And for once I have someone from my own city, someone from Winnipeg, so excited. Uh, so maybe I don't want to do a lot of talking. I always say that I want my guests to do the talking. So Angela, tell us a little bit about you. What are you known for? What do you practice? Hey, yeah. So I, uh, like you said, I'm a registered dietitian, um, also a Canadian certified counselor. And um, yeah, kind of my biggest, um thing that I tend to help clients with is uh, like their relationship with food and their relationship with their bodies and a big part of that is kind of exploring like some of their past you know like conditioning or stories that they've picked up shame beliefs that they've picked up along the way throughout the course of their lives um, that now are kind of turning into a pretty like difficult narrative when it comes to you know, um, how they feel about certain foods, how they feel about their bodies. And um, yeah, so that's probably one of the bigger things that I tend to, uh, like one of the bigger themes that that tends to come up in my work with clients. 
it's so common and it's so nice to see an awareness around that now because when I grew up in the 80s as a child I remember my mom was very much a Weight Watchers person right and aunties Mm -hmm. were always like oh you lost weight you gained weight you look beautiful it was always very much physical appearance and we're sort of seeing that shift now that like oh maybe it's not so healthy to hyper focus on the size and shape of our bodies or the things we put in our mouths right Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. A lot of us. Yeah. Eighties, nineties, babies. We've kind of like. <laughs> um. I'm an eighties baby, but yeah, we've we've kind of internalized a lot of these messages, even if it wasn't necessarily like the result of our caregivers. Mm-hmm. Um. Like I know, even for myself, I you know grew up in a home where like we didn't have a scale in the house, and like there was no diet talk or anything like that. Um, I think my my family was pretty careful around that just really intuitively. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still, you know, picked up a lot of um, kind of diety messages like outside the family, you know, at school or amongst friends or, you know, extended family and things like that. And, and a lot of that was kind of like unintentional. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's so um, it's so interesting that these days there is a lot more awareness around um, the harms of like diet talk and um, that people are being more mindful of um, the impact that um, food talk can have on younger, like vulnerable generations. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have a teenager who is non-binary and because of some of those expectations and some of that talk at school, it still happens, but it's a lot less, but still just when you're growing and you're normally growing, cause you, you're still a child. Now you're growing into an adolescent, then to an adult, even some of those natural changes can be like, Oh, my pants don't fit. I'm, I'm, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't feel good about myself. Well, they're not supposed to anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I love that in your practice, uh, you teach people about, you know, real human nourishment. So it's not just about canceling diet culture or just getting rid of something. You're teaching them about how to actually nourish themselves. So can you share a bit? Cause you, you did mention that, that you do counseling as well. So that's psycho psychology. So how did you as a dietitian actually move to more psychological and emotional nurturing practice than say a traditional dietitian might still be out there providing meal plans and not that there's anything wrong with that, that kind of thing, but what, what makes you, what made you make that switch or that addition to your business? Yeah, I think that was just a really natural progression for me. Um, for most of my career as a dietitian, I worked um, for the government. And so I, it was very like jack of all trades, master of none, rural dietitian, doing a bit of everything, you know, clinical work, um, community work, chronic disease education, including like insulin starts and titrations and things like that. So mm-hmm. it was a it was kind of covering like almost all areas of dietetics. Um, and one common theme amongst all of those different roles or all of those different hats that I wore was my my counseling skills, and that was something that I, I really kind of um, honed in on and strengthened early in my career as a dietitian. And I'm really glad that I did because it applied to all areas of my work, whether I was, you know, working with someone um, with a resident in a long-term care home, kind of like figuring out, you know, what, um, 
what kind of diet interventions they are open to, you know, considering that maybe they are at like end of life and really having those conversations around um, what's important at that point in a person's life um, or working with someone that was like maybe super motivated, you know, maybe just had like a really scary health event that was traumatizing and, you know, was just ready to just like revamp their whole diet or working with somebody who maybe just got a, a mental or um, got some kind of health diagnosis that maybe they weren't, they didn't really believe yet because mm -hmm. they felt fine. And, you know, they, they didn't see <clears throat> how making changes to their eating habits would make a difference. And so it was really kind of, you know, in that case, like sitting with someone in their ambivalence and really just kind of meeting them where they were at. And, um, and my counseling skills, you know, applied to all areas of that work. And when it comes to food, there's a lot of like emotional ties that we feel with food too. And, um, so, you know, food is not just something that we eat for basic nourishment. There's like, you know, we eat for so many different reasons. So inevitably talking about food led to talking about emotions, sometimes led to talking about like, you know, um, within the scope of practice as a dietitian, sometimes, you know, people told me a little bit about some of the the trauma that they'd experienced around food growing up because that was part of their story and um and so those counseling skills was you know that was always something that I always found very valuable in my work as a dietitian so after a few years um I decided I wanted to uh, be able to go deeper to like you know be able to safely support somebody with their mental health and also have the skills to to do it effectively um so that's when I decided to you know go back to school so to speak, um, did my master's degree while I was working, continued to work as a dietitian. <laughs> and uh, it Busy was, lady. yeah, it was, it was kind of a wild ride there for a while, <laughs> wild and exhausting. Um, yeah, I'm glad it's, glad it's, glad that part's done. And um, yeah, I just really, um, really had a lot of motivation to like, be able to go deeper into the mental health and emotional and trauma side of things. And then while I was doing my um, my degree and my practicum, um, I started kind of making these stronger connections between like trauma and, um, you know, um, disordered eating or challenges with eating or um, using food as a way of coping with trauma responses or with emotions or even under better understanding the role of trauma and um, physical illnesses like type 2 diabetes, for example, or heart disease. And, uh, and also kind of seeing some of these trends in the, the clients that I was working with at the time. So yeah, it just seemed like it was a very natural progression in um, just kind of finding a way of working with clients that suited like the kind of work that I wanted to do, the depth that I wanted to be able to work with clients. And yeah, so that's, that's kind of the the story, the progression, I would say. I think that's really awesome. Yeah. I, in my practice, I talk a lot about non-food sources of nourishment. And I think mm -hmm. sometimes, and you, you're the expert, I'm not, but I think sometimes it's easier if we're dealing with something or, or we have 
something that we need to deal with, sometimes it's easier to blame the thing we're putting in our mouth because <laughs> that's mm-hmm. an easy fix, right? Okay, I just won't eat that anymore. But but if, if you're not getting to the root of the issue as to what is the motivation behind why you're picking that up, even though it feels bad, what is that <laughs> you have to draw those connections. But it's really hard mm-hmm. because diet culture, like you mentioned, like you were raising a home without it, but it still reached you. And this was even before, you know, smartphones and social media and stuff, right? And now that's everywhere. It's a big business. Um, and you see it a lot, like if someone um posts like someone who's really into body positivity like Lizzo there's always a million terrible comments you know it's half and half right of people that are like you go and others that are like you know you can't be healthy we shouldn't be promoting this this is so unhealthy but you know but really weight shouldn't be something that we determine our value with and it and actually there's a lot of people that are that look healthy maybe in a normative type way but really aren't healthy and maybe health looks different in people of different sizes I always sort of looked at health as you know how well can you function how well are you happy with life like can you move your body if you can move your body and you can do the things you want to be doing that you're healthy right to me is how it works but how can we unglue some of that that um some of those messages that we're getting how can we take that out of our sense of self-worth and stop correlating our identity and our value with our size and shape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that can take a lot of unpacking. Yeah. I wish I had like a very simple no, like five step process. Simple, yeah. <laughs> like do this, and this, and this. But that in itself is kind of a product of diet culture, right? Like mm-hmm. just putting out this idea that there's this like one way one of way doing do. something <laughs> and no one, none of the other ways work. And um, yeah. So yeah, I think a big first or like a really important first step is just like being aware of um like the bias that we're carrying around with us and that can be really uncomfortable right so like listening to our thoughts um when we look at ourselves in the mirror right and if we notice ourselves kind of like picking apart picking apart certain parts of our bodies um, and kind of reflecting on like, where does that come from, right? A lot of times it's rooted in this, like, maybe sense of like shame or inadequacy. Um, and, you know, we pick up all of these messages in our society that, um, you know, that um, healthy bodies look a certain way or attractive bodies are meant to look a certain way. And we internalize so much of that and it just ends up reflecting in kind of like our internal bias or like um, fat phobia, right? Um, And the scary thing is too, that a lot of that internalized bias often trickles into the healthcare system where healthcare providers are maybe carrying around their own, you know, bias, their own fat phobia, and it's impacting their work, which I think is is um, probably one of the scariest um, impacts of like, you know, diet culture and and um, weight bias or weight stigma. Um, and that's like a whole other, like probably like a whole other conversation. <laughs> but yeah, I think the coming back to your question, um, I think the first part is just being aware of our thoughts, right? Being aware of our judgments and maybe ter- like, starting with ourselves, right? Turning inward and 
reflecting on, um, you know, how many times we look in a mirror in a day to like, you know, do a body check, you know, to, to kind of, you know, see how our bodies look in a certain outfit or whatever it might be. And, um, and just noticing those thoughts, mm-hmm. right? Um, noticing um, the words that are in those thoughts, noticing maybe even like whose voice that seems to be in, right? Is it the voice of like, um, you know, uh, like family member growing up that maybe body shamed us in some way or like a gym teacher or something like that? Um, you know, these, we can pick up a lot of these messages and it's, it's not to say that like those people that maybe, um, you know, did that body shaming in our lives. It's not to say that they were necessarily like intending to be harmful, right? That was kind of the result of their own, their own stuff, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can, I can remember a, a gym teacher once when I was in like junior high, I think, um, I was sitting down working on some kind of assignment and she like came up behind me and like slapped my upper arms and was like, Oh, your arms aren't supposed to jiggle like that. You're only 13. And you know, at the time I'm 13 and I, I didn't really think much of it. Like I just kind of <laughs> internalized this, like, Oh, my arms aren't supposed to jiggle. I'm only 13. But then once I got older, I was like, why am I so self-conscious of my upper arms? <laughs> right? Where does this come from? And and um, for people tuning in audio only, I mean, you're tiny, like you are very petite too. Like, so, I mean, there's no, mm-hmm. there's, there's no, um, it, it doesn't matter what size or shape you are. We are all mm-hmm. uh, have the ability to feel those things and mm-hmm. it doesn't discriminate, right? It just doesn't discriminate mm-hmm. that stigma. Okay. Sorry. I interrupted yeah. you, go on. Yeah, no, no, that's okay. So, so yeah, like a, a lot of, um, this is, um, you know, it was probably like a lot of her own stuff that she was carrying around, <laughs> right? I don't think she's a terrible person yeah. or anything like that. But, um, you know, we can all have those moments of kind of like saying something that we we didn't mean or that we said the wrong way or whatever it might be. But um, anyways, kind of, you know, reflecting on like where these beliefs come from, right? And a lot of times, um, you know, when we become aware of those internal beliefs or internal thoughts, um, it can create a lot of discomfort, right? So, you know, making space for that discomfort and um, a lot of times like underlying those thoughts or beliefs, you know, might be like feelings of shame or inadequacy, right? And so, you know, making space for that, making space for all of that, is uh is an important part of the process um yeah yeah so that first part is just you know being aware of those messages in the world how we've maybe internalized them how that then reflects on like how we feel about ourselves um as a person um and then as a next step um you know, trying to kind of like restore that narrative, right? That our our worth isn't attached to what our bodies look like. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, our um, that our value as a person isn't attached to um, you know the the number on the scale or whatever it might be. Yeah, 
No, definitely not. And you mentioned that about practitioners, because that is a big problem there. I, I like to call it the obesity tax. It's like we're taxed with more emotional labor to try and prove that we didn't do this to ourselves if we have a chronic illness or an ailment or something, right? It's it's very easy for uh, practitioners to say, you know, go lose a couple pounds and come back to me, right? Or mm-hmm. go gain a couple pounds, then come back to me. It can work both ways, right? Like if there's like, when is it just right, right? And mm-hmm. I remember talking to my doctor about it. And I said, like, how much food nutrition training do you actually receive as a doctor and I have a great doctor so she's not like that but she uh she's like <laughs> an hour maybe an hour as a medical practitioner like it's really not not our thing and I talked to another doctor in the states not too long ago and she said I got maybe half an hour maybe mm-hmm. half an hour and just to know that people are are treated so unfairly based on some of these external factors and mm-hmm. bias that was built in that somehow weight is the issue and actually it's often an unhealthy weight or unhealthy eating or whatever else is 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 just a symptom of something else which is exactly mm-hmm. what you're talking about yeah. so i think if people are looking for a quick fix or a one size fits all answer to there isn't it's mm-hmm. which is what you said which is again more diet culture right so mm-hmm. so what are some things like how does someone recognize cuz there is a lot of advice out there and some of them seem to come from very uh, accoladed people, right. That, that would seem to ha- have credibility. Um, but how does someone, uh, just the average person recognize unhealthy advice about food or diet or, or that kind of thing? Cause there is so much out there and there's a lot of people saying, you know, that are touting their credibility in this area. So what are some of the things that you may hear and what, what should be a red flag for someone to be like, oh yeah, that's, that's sort of like the danger territory of diet culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. There's, um, I feel like there's so many (laughs) different things to look out for. Um, But just a few kind of, you know, um, a little bit more off the top of my head, like, would be if somebody is making a promise that seems too good to be true, it probably is, right? If they're promising, you know, X number of um, inches or pounds in so many weeks, like um, there's no way that they can promise that because there, there's really actually no way of predicting what the human body is going to do. Mm-hmm. And there is there's absolutely there's actually no research to support any like that that any diet is um, effective for weight loss in the long term. Um, so, you know, that's one thing to keep in mind is that like, you know, if they're, if they're making really sensational promises, um, that it is too good to be true, even though it's, it might like, you know, sound really good and it might kind of give us this like false sense of like comfort or security to be like, oh, this person has the answer. I'm gonna, you know, pay them a bunch of money for this outcome, um, that it's, it's kind of a bit of a play on our emotions right um there's a lot of like kind of predatory sort of behaviors in that you know diet culture wellness culture um world so so that's one thing is like sensational product or sensational promises um another one is you know um when when someone is putting out kind of like fear-based messaging like oh, if you don't buy this product, then, you know, you're never gonna 
get this thing that you want or like um eating this eating these certain foods is gonna you know is gonna give you cancer for sure or you know um using this really like fear-based messaging or shame-based messaging um is is another really big concern so um so that's another thing to look out for because again it's kind of like this this way of like trying to manipulate our emotions, creating this sense of fear and insecurity. And then it's like, I have the answer. You just gotta pay me all this money and you know, get this product for me. And um, so there's there's often a lot of like emotional manipulation that we need to look out for. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is suggesting that, um, you know, you need to follow this certain specific plan in order to be successful. Um, And my criticism of of that is that everybody is different. Like every person's body is different. Every person's life is different. Um, Every person's um, emotional reactions are different. So like, how can we say that there's this one approach that's going to be, that's going to work for everybody? Um, yeah, everybody, everybody's motivation is different. Everyone, everyone's barriers in their lives are different. Um, yeah, and that's why, you know, health and wellness, it's never like a one approach fits all um, answer, right? A lot of it is kind of going within and, you know, reflecting on like, um, reflecting on emotions, reflecting on unmet needs, and maybe how, you know, our relationship and with our bodies and with food is maybe like playing a role in all of that. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's absolutely right. Thank you. Now, talking about um, diet plans, I do want to talk about this because we are both vegans. That's actually how we met was through Winnipeg Veg Fest. And so some people may say, well, that's like, a strict diet I I disagree there but (laughs) so what happened so maybe maybe you can describe for our audience what veganism is to you and why you are vegan and then we'll get into maybe some of the the benefits that that may be available to people that adopt this diet and how it isn't actually like a restriction restrictive diet like it's not it's not that at all so Mm -hmm. maybe you can explain how that works. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's an excellent question. Um, yeah. And a lot of people, they, they kind of lump like veganism together with like, um, a diet, right. Or like diet. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's like, I'm, I'm doing the vegan diet for this certain health (laughs) outcome sort of thing. Um, and it's like, that doesn't actually like fit. (laughs) Um, yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. So it's, um, and I get where people are coming from because, you know, there's this um, view that like veganism is all about like just the food, right? And it's, it's not necessarily um, the case. Like the, um, you know, the, the entire intention of veganism is to, you know, basically reduce suffering of other living beings as much as possible and practical, right? Like there's no way of being perfect with it. Um, and a lot of times as vegan, it's just kind of like we're trying to do our best in a world that is actually not very vegan friendly. So like there's no such thing as a perfect um, a perfect decision. Um, and it's really a, a moral stance in that 
um, you know, it, it's, it's not so much about the food as it is, or it's not so much about like the morality of food, which would be associated with diet culture, right? This food is good. This food is bad. It's not so much about the morality of food. It's more about the morality of eating animals, right? It's the morality of like what that food actually is and where it comes from. So I think that's where a lot of people kind of get the two mixed up between mm -hmm. veganism and diet culture. Cause it's like, well, you know, diet culture is, it's trash and, you know, it's like good food, bad foods. Like, yeah, it, it is trash. I mean, diet culture is trash, um, but <laughs> veganism is not, is not that right. It's not like, oh, this is good. This is bad. It's more like, I'm going to choose vegan cheese that's made out of plants versus dairy cheese that comes from a lactating mother. Um, because that is that feels like the more ethical choice to me. And it's it's the choice that best aligns with my values, knowing, um, you know, with the knowledge of how that milk um, or how that that cheese is produced and knowing all of the um, exploitation that takes place in order for that cheese to get to the kitchen table. Um, so I would say that that's one of the biggest differentiations. Um, and I think that can, it's, I think that it's, it's challenging for a lot of people to kind of wrap their heads around because a lot of us are pretty far removed from really knowing like where our food comes from in our society. Um, and so, you know, for a lot of people going to pick up a block of cheese at the grocery store, it's like, I'm just going to get some cheese, right? And not really considering all of the processes, all of like the systems involved in like how that cheese actually gets there, right? Yeah, and, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I think I, I always kind of giggle because so many people don't understand that cows make milk for babies just like other mammals like that I think that was one of the mm -hmm. most common misconceptions about where cheese because everyone loves cheese right well and it's mm -hmm. addictive um but they're like but yeah cow, that's what cows do that's what they're made for well no if they did then they wouldn't have to make them pregnant on purpose to keep mm -hmm. having babies and so yeah anyways so but that's yeah. a whole other conversation about myths and that but I really like the way that you explain that it is and same thing with even being a vegan, you can still have other emotional issues. Some of the same ones that people that eat meat and dairy do, right? The same trauma-based uh, responses, possibly, right? Other food addictions. Vegans can be anorexic bulimic just as much as anybody else, right? Or eat, um, you know, large amounts of things that are, you know, maybe hard on their bodies, right? Like, like mm -hmm. lots of, you know, cholesterol and, and that kind of stuff um but um where was I going with that but um so I think but the rules still apply right like eat a balanced diet get variety and make sure you feel good right and then don't mm -hmm. assign labels to foods they're not good or bad they're just they're just what they are and mm -hmm. so now vegans though it's kind of interesting because there's it's sort of like we have our own um community trauma right because there's this world that that is so opposite to 
what we uh, feel or see, uh, the compassion that we have for some of these beings and understanding, you know, that we don't want to be a part of that, but we literally can't get away from it. We live in a world where that is the norm. That is what it is. People we love, like, and we can't, we can't disconnect from all our family and friends and even just being part of the world. Right. So um, I had um, another uh, vegan in the city say he compares it to like the walking dead like well we'll, well, well we're Rick walking around town and everyone else is devouring flesh right like that's sort of what it, it feels it has like a dystopian feel and I think the term dystopia that's where it comes from right like with a b instead mm-hmm. of a d so yeah yeah and Claire that is Mann's something book, the, yeah yeah the, and the you, concept her book yeah and that's something that you actually want to support you brought this into your practice now so can you share a little bit about some of the support you have for people that do that are ethical vegans that maybe are struggling with some of the trauma related to their lifestyle choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is that is definitely an area of interest of mine is supporting other vegans, like um, not just with like their physical health, like through you know nutrition and, and eating well, but also their emotional health because um, I think that there's there's not a lot of consideration for the fact that being vegan in this world is like a whole other like extra layer of stress that a person lives with when they are living a vegan lifestyle you know like there is that the additional like social stress especially if you don't have a lot of other like social vegan supports in your life um or if you know people in your life aren't solid like vegan allies right where people that are you know, they maybe like respect veganism and kind of agree with it in some ways, but aren't, you know, vegan themselves. And they're, they're willing to just, you know, support you. Right. Um, And, you know, not everyone is lucky enough to have people like that in their lives. Not every vegan is lucky enough to have people like that in their lives. And, um, and yeah, like just living in this world as a vegan um, can be stressful and even traumatizing at times. Um, I recently read one of Melanie Joy's books, uh, yes. Beyond Beliefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an excellent resource, I think, for, for vegans and non-vegans alike. Like, it's really just more about um, kind of explaining some of the concepts behind veganism and, um, you know, for both you know, helping vegans be able to better explain their values and their views on things, but also in kind of helping vegan allies or non-vegans, like just be able to kind of know where their vegan loved ones are are coming from and how they can kind of, you know, communicate effectively. Um, And now where was I going with this? Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And also like the, the transition towards being vegan can be kind of traumatic at times, especially if you've lived as a non-vegan for a lot of your life, because, you know, in order to become vegan, it's almost kind of like lifting the veil on like this idea of like how we see our food system, how we see the world, the role that animals play in this world. And, you know, you're consuming all of this information and you start to all of a sudden realize like, oh, wait a minute, I just learned all of this I don't, I don't want to eat animals or things that come from animals anymore. Cause I don't, I don't want to support a system that doesn't align with my values and my um, like, what is important to me. 
And there can be, you know, some trauma with like consuming that information with viewing like graphic images or graphic videos um, and, you know, reading descriptions of like what happens to animals in the food system. Um, and so, you know, that can be quite traumatizing. And yet it's like we also kind of need to know those things in order to make that that leap, right, to recognize like, oh, crap, like that doesn't align with like what I thought was happening. That doesn't align with like what I think should happen. So I don't I don't want to support that. Um, but then also so that's like one layer of kind of like trauma that can happen. Um, it's just, you know, um, seeing what is actually going on. And then there can also be guilt with, you know, reflecting on like that you've kind of like um, maybe participated in a system that you didn't agree with for a long time. There can be a lot of guilt and shame initially um, when that when that realization comes or when a person first transitions towards being vegan because they're like, oh my God, why didn't I do this sooner? And like, you know, I'm, I, I'm never like, you know, I just was so ignorant before and all of those things. Um, so that can be a layer of, you know, emotional challenges. Um, but then also thereafter, like, you know, once you kind of know what you know, it's hard to like unknow it, if that <laughs> makes sense. So like, you know, as a vegan, it's kind of like once you know how meat, where meat comes from, how it's produced, you know, once you like, you don't really look at meat the same way after that, you know, for something that maybe you once viewed as like something that was food, all of a sudden it's not food anymore. It's part of like something that was once like a living being and you know seeing how other people like your loved ones still view it as food can be really like painful sometimes and it can be like traumatizing as well if you know people in your life maybe don't understand the uh the emotional impact that you know seeing meat can have yeah absolutely i I was reading somewhere once and I, I can't remember where this came from, but it said something like the number one reason uh, vegans go back to animal products isn't food choices. It isn't health. It is lack of support. And it's, mm -hmm. it's sort of that mob mentality, right? Where people, I, it, it's interesting. I, I remember when I first went uh, vegan and I would go for lunch with friends or whatever. And it, we would, they would just spend the whole time talking about food and why they had to eat with, and I'm like, can we just talk about something else? Like, I'm tired of talking mm -hmm. about, like, we never talked about what I ate before. Can we just not like, it's getting exhausting to explain this over mm -hmm. and over again. It, it's really not a big, like, if it's, we don't need to make a big deal out of this, right? Like it's, it's just, oh, there's this kitty. Yeah. Oh, hi, kitty, kitty. One, of my, one of my foster kitties. Oh, so sweet. Who do you foster with? Um, well, I'm in rural Manitoba, so I, I foster with uh, Nipawa cats, TNR, oh, and Rescue. Oh, that's yeah. so exciting. So exciting. Well, yeah. we'll give them a little shout out. So, what's, yeah. what's their name? Uh, this is Edwin. Hi, so Edwin. He, uh, he just has one eye because um, one Hi, of them buddy. was uh, was uh, kind of, I think, didn't develop properly as a kid. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, he had to get he had to get that eye removed but uh but he's good he's like just loving life and 
super cuddly and he's a sweet boy. And he's available for adoption. So. He is, yes. Oh, that's exciting. CNR. Yeah. Yeah, CNR. We'll, def- we'll put that in the <laughs> show notes for sure so people yeah, can find absolutely. them. Absolutely. I was going to ask something else about veganism, and I can't remember what it was. Um, yeah, lack of support was the number one reason people do go back to an animal based diet. And because it, it can be exhausting, just the conversations or like when you're like, mm-hmm. I just want to eat my salad. Can you just like, can we just? I don't want to have this feeling like I have to defend myself. I don't want you feeling Mm -hmm. like you have to feel guilty sitting next to me. Like we don't have to add all this layers to just having lunch together. Right. If you're curious Mm -hmm. about veganism and you want to learn some recipes or you want to learn a little more about my story, I will happily share that with you. Um, But we don't, don't feel like that's a must if you're in my presence. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, so it's, it's, yeah, I I don't know. I, but I do get excited, like you mentioned, allies. I love it when people are like, by the way, I, I ate, you know, three vegan meals this week. And I'm like, that's amazing. Good for you. What'd you think? I actually really liked it. I had energy. Like, that's awesome. So good for you. Yeah, I think I'm going to do it next week too. That's great. Like, I don't, um, mm-hmm. I know some people can be very um, forceful or like there's a big line in the sand as to what's acceptable or not. But I think any steps towards reduction of harm, you know, that lessen a little bit of that suffering. They're all good right. steps, even if it's not perfect, because yeah. we're not perfect even as ourselves. Right. So it's yeah. not, it's not about being perfect. And and I know you mentioned it, it's a, it's a moral issue, but it's not like a moral high ground. Like, it's not like we're on a pedestal looking down, like, no, 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 no. It just means for our personal peace, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's just what we believe in. So that's how we act. Um, so is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience about what your business is, where they can find you or any other thoughts about, uh, food or psychology that you might like to leave people with as a last bit mm-hmm. of advice? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, um, have my practice, um, for, um, um, psychotherapy and nutrition called nurture to nourish counseling. Um, so I, I really focus a lot on, um, you know, the relationship with food peace and, um, you know, even in my, even in my work as a dietitian, um, uh, you know, a lot of the focus is a lot more on kind of building that foundation of like, uh, you know, exploring some of, some of like the emotional ties to food. Right. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really a lot more on kind of like the, how, or like the, the why we eat the way that we do versus like eat this, not that, follow this meal plan sort of thing. Um, the, the work that I do is, is quite deep, um, even in my capacity as a dietitian. And um, that being said, I, I am kind of leaning a bit more towards the counseling side of things. Um, and yeah, so my website is um, nurturetonourish.com. Um, I'm on Instagram at angela.tucker.rd. Um, and yeah, I, I love supporting people with the relationship with food and I love supporting, you know, vegans with their, um, mental wellness and in, um, you know, helping them to find, um, um, you know, find a a path, um, that is sustainable for their veganism. That's going to help them to, you know, um, find those things, find those ways of like, um, aligning with their veganism and that's going to you know give them a sense of purpose and also um 
helping them to kind of find those connections so that they um so that they they feel a sense of community um because that's the thing with being vegan too that I didn't really touch on a whole lot it can be really isolating (laughs) you know because it's like there's like thank goodness that like you know it is becoming more normal because you know things like Winnipeg Veg Fest allowed you and I to connect Chrissy like Mm -hmm. stuff like that um like thank goodness that there are more of these you know connections available because yeah being vegan be super isolating in this world so yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely and I attended my first veg fest as a non-vegan but I was curious to learn more and see what it was about Mm -hmm. and see if it was something that I could do so I think people need to know that that you know these communities are often very welcoming and um, Mm -hmm. it's okay to dip your toe in the water to start like a lot of people Mm -hmm you know, gradually change. It's not an overnight thing that happens, I find for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be like an all or nothing <laughs> thing, right? Like it's, um, I think that's where people can feel kind of intimidated by veganism because they think it's just this big set of like rules, right? <laughs> of like, you need to follow all these rules to be in the club. Um, it's like, well, you know, like we're really just wanting to like, like us vegans we're really just wanting to support other people right and mm-hmm. in you know if if there's something that they feel uncomfortable with in some of their own behaviors you know it's something to kind of examine right and it doesn't have to be this like all or nothing thing necessarily absolutely well thank you so much Angela I will make sure everybody can find all your information in the show notes it's been such a pleasure having you on mm-hmm. thank you for having me Chrissy Thank you again, Angela, for joining me on the show. It's always such a pleasure to meet you and talk to you and spend time with you. Thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom, your beautiful heart, and uh, just know that you have a big fan here. And um, I just wanted to say to everybody else, thank you again for tuning in to the Flare Up Show. Uh, There's lots going on always. Don't forget to check out my link tree. (laughs) And um, just know like she talked about um you know body dysmorphia and how some of that bias has even triggered into healthcare we really have to know what health means to us and i would encourage you if you're not sure what healthy means to you i would encourage you to sit down and think about that if i was my most healthy what would that actually look like what would it feel like what things would i be doing what things would I be enjoying? What would my sleep look like? What would my relationships look like? Just everything. And just really, because sometimes like, oh, I wish I was healthy. Well, what does that actually look like? What to you defines your health? And uh, I think that's really, really important because like she mentioned, you know, there isn't one size fits all. There isn't one approach fits all. And not everybody wants the same type of health not everybody wants to be a you know an Ironman athlete not everybody (laughs) it it has to be what you want and uh, so for you to figure out what it is that is best for you however you wish to measure that that is something that I encourage you to sit down and think about over the next little while and and really decide is it health when it comes to physicality and nutrition Or is it a different area of your life that needs some 
um, love or nurturing in order for you to nourish yourself, just like Angela says. So thank you again. Have an amazing day and we'll see you again next week on the flare up show.